Welcome to the Lutheran Diaconal Association's series on the five images of the diaconate. We are so glad that you are here today to learn a little more about what it means to be a deacon or a deaconess. The images of the diaconate were developed by a scholar by the name of Antonia Lynn in an article she wrote from the book, The Deacon's Ministry. But the definitions I want to share with you today are interpreted by LDA Deaconess and Emeritus Executive Director, our most beloved E. Louise Williams. Today, in this podcast, we get to hear from a deacon or a deaconess about their work and how it reflects one of the five images. But first, let's start with a quick definition of one of those images. Storyteller. Diagonal storytelling seeks to touch the hearer more deeply, to give space in the story for the hearers to find themselves, to unleash imagination and memory, to open the possibility for healing, for challenge, for transformation. It is also to help people tell their own stories of their pain and suffering, of their joys and triumphs, of deaths and resurrections of God at work among them, to bring those stories back to the community for witness, celebration, instruction, and prayer. Well, good morning, Deaconess Cheryl. It is good to have you here on the LDA Lutheran Diaconal Association's podcast. And um, I thank you for your time. For being here. Well, thank you for having me. This you is exciting. Cheryl, one of the reasons we are having this conversation today is because we are talking about the five images of diaconium. And um, those images continue to describe um, the work that we do. And not just us, the LDA, but really what the diaconate in an ecumenical sense, really means. And so one of those, um, it describes that. So one of those images is a storyteller. And um, I want to hear a little bit about how you see your work as a chaplain reflected in the image of storyteller, which our listeners have heard that um, definition um, previous to our conversation. Well, first off, I want to say that I had the honor of uh, Deaconess Louise uh, being one of the leaders of the LDA when I went through my diaconal Mm -hmm. training at Valparaiso. And so she was was and and continues to be a great um, spiritual mentor of mine. Um, But I do love these images, too. (laughs) So I've been thinking about storytelling and chap and being a chaplain and really it I kind of broke it into three different areas how I see the three different types of stories that have to do with chaplains uh, with being a you know ministering as a chaplain Mm -hmm. and the first would be my story And really, this kind of comes out when you're taking that clinical pastoral education Mm 
I was talking to one of our deaconess students last night who's going through the CPE program and, you know, just encouraging her to use it as a time for self-reflection and growth, Mm -hmm. you know. And so the first story is my story. Because I think a lot of times you're drawn to certain ministries because of your own history. And Mm -hmm. we find a lot of us who work in hospice have had significant losses in our life that have drawn us to want to help others when they experience deaths of important people in their lives. So it's not about me when I'm doing this ministry, but my story is a part of that. Hmm. And I never share with patients stories of people in my life who have died or grief that I've experienced. But the significant deaths that have happened in my life allow, have taught me to seek out answers and spiritual comfort. And that knowledge that I have through what I've been through informs my responses to Mm -hmm. my hospice patients and their families. Mm. So it's there, even though the patients and the families don't ever know it, Mm -hmm. but my story and ways that people and ministers have comforted me and things that I've learned through going through grief myself helps me to respond to the stories of my patients and families. Would you say that, and and that is something that we learn in CPE, which is required, right, for um, the diaconal, the LDA formation process. Um, That uh, is something that we learn is that we don't want to um, always disclose, right, personal information. And initially for me, that sound really, um, that sound, it it, it seems like a, a, like a, selfish thing is to keep my story closed right don't disclose but to keep it closed within but as I started to go through the process I realized no the selfishness would be to disclose my pain and my past experience verbally in that way because it's about them it's their time yeah right and you don't want it to turn into them having to comfort you or you know, be acknowledging, you know, your grief, you know, you want to keep the focus on them. But I think it's a wonderful gift and CPE really helps you do this. And I think a lot of the deaconess training helped me to do this too, is I've processed this grief of, you know, in my life and, and my stories and it, they are kind of running in the back of my head. And mm-hmm. I, it helps me to look at my patients and families and go, oh, yes, I remember how that felt. Uh, you know, it's really powerful. It sounds to me like it 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 uh, developed empathy in you for. Yes. Their, compassion. Their story. Empathy. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. For, for certain. Mm-hmm. So the second type of story that came to my mind when I thought of the diaconal image of storytelling is my patient's story. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of my ministry as a hospice chaplain is to encourage my dying patients and their families 
to share their life stories. And it's really one of the great joys of my ministry as, Mm. you know, sometimes it's a story of pain and suffering that needs God's healing so they can let go maybe of some injuries from their childhood even. And sometimes it's just stories of joy and a life review can bring laughter and tears to all of us who are in the room. And I, I, I love this job because every moment is different as I'm in front of each different patient and they share their life story. And each life story is so beautiful and unique. You know, it's really, um, it's really the, a gift in my work. Mm -hmm. I like how you call it a life review too. You call that story a life review. Um, And what popped in my head when you were saying that was, um, can we have those life reviews before we're at end of life? Yes. Yes. Mm. I, you know, last year was my 35th anniversary of my consecration as a deaconess. And so you kind of get to do a life review. Oh, yeah. They're uh-huh. like, send us the pictures of, you know, your life, really, and your uh-huh. ministry. And um, it really was, you know, kind of a, it, it, you know, you kind of feel like the spotlight dancer of annual meeting. But, um, but it was really, you know, a wonderful time for just people to hear about your life and your family and your ministry. And mm-hmm. it was, it was cool. Yeah. And an annual meeting, just for our listeners, annual meeting is when our community comes together annually, hence annual meeting. And, <laughs> um, and we do have part, a lot, a large part of that is not just life review, but community individuals life reviews with celebration of, um, consecrations, but also it's kind of a a time for community um, storytelling. So as a community, we get to hear people, each other's stories and um, laments and joys and, and just catch up. So it's one of the ways that we um, come together as community uh, during those annual uh, meetings. So the, there's kind of a part two to the patient's story, especially in a hospice ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's that sometimes the dying process becomes the story and it becomes mm. part of the patient's and the family's story. Mm. And so sometimes these um, end of life stories, we as chaplains are helping people to create these so that hopefully they're a comfortable you know, sometimes joy-filled, peaceful, and story for their life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these stories include people's loved ones who come visit us from heaven to help them on their journey. God mm-hmm. seems to be so gracious in sending people the loved ones who are in heaven that will help them the most mm-hmm. to journey from this life to the next. and. And I, every week, I it feels like I have a patient or a family will tell me that the patient's been talking to their mother or to their husband or sometimes their child, you know, who are waiting mm-hmm. for them in heaven. Mm-hmm. So it, 
really a sacred space. And we want to create as beautiful and peaceful of a sacred story that we can for people in this last story of their life here in this world. I love that. So you help them to to curate um, sort of the um, sort of the the ending. They get to 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 create the ending, like those books that you used to get. I don't know if they do them very often, but you get to create the ending of the story. So um, oh yes. Yeah, so it's it's empowering them to know that they can create however they want that to look. And they pass that on to the living, those who they leave. They'll have that as part of their ongoing story, too. Yeah. Mm. So the third type of storytelling that came to mind, um, which makes very good sets with um as my role as the chaplain on the hospice mm -hmm. team is uh at the end of people's life what their spiritual story is mm. um and a lot of times when i introduce myself people may say you know confess they haven't been to church for a long time you know or something like that and i'll say <laughs> it's not about that you know a lot of my patients are you know quite elderly too um, but I do get young ones too. And um, so it's really about people's personal relationship with God. And some of my patients are affiliated with the Christian faith, but the greater Detroit area is very diverse. And so I have taken a lot of courses um, where, in fact, I took a wonderful course through uh, our seminary where I studied different religions in the morning, and then we would go and immerse ourselves in the faith community in the mm -hmm. afternoon and evening. Mm -hmm. um, it was a course called Worldviews. So I have worked with patients that are Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish, Jain, Sikh, um, I uh, Baha'i, um, you know, anything that you can imagine almost, you know, and... I'm grateful nowadays for the translation tools that we have where I can have a little robot thing right in the room with me to uh -huh. translate because uh -huh. I have a lot of patients who speak Arabic in our area. Um, uh -huh. And sometimes even if people know and have learned English, if they're older right. and at the end of life, they sometimes revert back to their original language. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's really, I have learned so much about myself and my own faith through sharing in these intimate moments with patients and families of all different faiths and cultures. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's an important thing that I do as a chaplain is to bring in their spiritual leaders um, or a spiritual leader maybe that they don't know but is um, associated and affiliated with their faith. So that's um, that's an important thing. And that brings in the rituals, um, which, mm -hmm. you know, there's many rituals that are so beautiful for end of life in all our cultures. Mm -hmm. um, and just to make sure that we're doing things the right way. You know, in mm -hmm. certain cultures, I need to have the bed turned facing a different way. Mm -hmm. And 
I, or um, for some of my Jewish patients, I have to make arrangements, you know, for the Sabbath, you know, and so, or I've sat with many Jewish patients after they died because they are not supposed to be left alone. Right. So, so Uh it's. That, that that makes me wonder about, you know, when you started with um, number one, your story, and we talked a lot about um, non-disclosure of your story, but yet your story is very much a part of you and how you enter that room um, and helping you um, create and, and become an empathetic person. How does your spiritual story entered the room in part three, in the spiritual part. In the spiritual part. Mm-hmm. Well, I I do, I, I have started every day of my ministry in the morning praying that God will place me where I need to be, when I need to be there. And so many times I've walked into a room and people have said, I can't believe you came right now, right when we need you. And I'll say, oh, it's not me. My timing's terrible. I'm always late. You know, I said, this is God's timing, you know, that I'm here now. And then I'll ask that God place the words in my mouth that people Mm -hmm. need to hear that day. Um, I years ago I created a multi-faith prayer book for the chaplains at our health system mm-hmm. and I went to the leaders and said if you are not able to be present what can we say or do or pray that will be a comfort mm-hmm. to the people of your faith mm-hmm. and so we created this beautiful book um and with prayers that were sanctioned by area faith leaders um, Mm -hmm. that they felt comfortable with us staying rooted in our Christian faith, you know, and me and my Christian faith, but being able to go into the space of their relationship with God and their faith tradition and, you know, to be a comfort to them. And uh, people are very receptive um, to prayer. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's really an exciting part. Another exciting part of being a chaplain, maybe the most exciting part is all these years I've stayed rooted in, I've stayed rooted in my faith, Mm -hmm. but I've learned a lot about my faith by being in these intimate relationships and walking in the shoes of people of totally different face than mine, mm-hmm. you know, and what an honor that they let me step into yeah. that space of their faith. Mm-hmm. That's you know? huge. Yeah. That's, you know, big. a lot of times I clearly, you know, look like I'm a white Protestant girl, you know, like, and so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the whole thing is just completely, um, a, a, a gift and um, something I think that perhaps it's very humbling, it sounds like, you know, from what you say, to be um, present and allowed to be present in some of those things. And it, it sounds like it, it grounds you more deeply in your faith process. And I love that too, because when we think of um, some of the divisions that happen 
between us in communities, not that, uh, in our LDA community, but just in our communities abroad, our yes, local in communities the in the world, right? There, if only people could hear your words, that there is no reason to hate. There's no reason to separate ourselves from someone who finds God differently than us, because ultimately it grounds us squarely in our relationship with God. If we are I mean, really- and I, I have had many patients that have a very different faith than mine mm-hmm. say to me, um, it's, it's all one God, it's all one higher power. It's, you know, you know, it's, they, it's, it's really an amazing honor, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, and it is, it does feel like you're just kind of bringing a little bit of peace to our corner of the yes. world. Yeah. You know? In those moments, it is, I like that. I'm going to think of those end of life moments um, as, as peace being um, manifested in that, in those rooms around the world. It really is. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Wonderful work. So the last part of that third part of storytelling that brings our faith um, into the story is that for Christian patients, which I do have quite a few Christian patients in this area, um, mm-hmm. they we um, often look at the story of Jesus at mm. the end of their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, it comes to mind that uh, I often throughout the day share John 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe mm-hmm. in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling were- places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. also. My favorite. I love that. I love it. I say (laughs) it many times a day because Uh, it's just so appropriate when uh people are right at the, at heaven's door, when Mm -hmm. we're walking them, you know, um, just short of the of the door to heaven and then sometimes if people are struggling it's uh been very helpful and i hope comforting for them that i'll share about the the angst that even our lord had Mm -hmm. as he was dying and we'll talk about the fact that it's god can handle their grief and leaving this world and maybe you know their angst or their fears you know because even god's son said the words from the cross you know my god my god why have thou forsaken me you know and we'll talk about that and Mm -hmm. say jesus was really letting us know it's okay you -hmm. know this is still the big unknown and a lot of people tell me they don't really fear once they get to heaven and they feel like that's going to be their destination. 
we have these boards in the room that you put mm -hmm. the patient's name, what they like to be called, and the nurse's name and contact information for their family. And at the bottom, it says goals. And I'll never forget, it was a Lutheran family. <laughs> and they wrote in under the goal section, heaven. Huh? <laughs> of course, a Lutheran family. I love it. <laughs> Uh, so a lot of people tell me they don't fear what's going to happen after they die. Really, I think where the fear comes in is what happens between now and then. Uh -huh. And so that's why, you know, we in hospice as a multidisciplinary team, you know, provide that physical and emotional and spiritual comfort and reassurance, you know. And Jesus really did a great job on the human side of it, you know, yeah. from the cross, just really giving us permission mm -hmm. to say, why God, you know, why mm -hmm. am I having to go through this? Yeah. So. Mm. I think too, ultimately for me, what I hear in your um, description of what it means to be a chaplain to you and how that uh, relates to the diaconal image of storyteller is that God's story is weaved into all three of these parts. I mean, Absolutely. Just, and if we just so pay attention, right? Just even, it doesn't even have to be end of life. I think what you've taught me is to listen for other people's stories. Um, don't be ashamed of my own, carry mine with me gently and tenderly because it does um, add value to um, encounters with others um, and help people to, let's talk about our stories together. Like you use as an example, you know, at annual meeting, let's lift up people each other's story and their life stories and let's review and then how we come together. We already talked about it on a global, um, from a global um, perspective and how all of our faith traditions really do help us stand grounded in what God's story was. And God's story was he came down in human form. Oh, yeah. To be with I us. And I, I want to add that in my training as a Lutheran deaconess, mm -hmm. um, there were many, uh, I went through a lot. I had a stepmother who had raised us because our mother had died when we were little and she mm -hmm. died when I was in deaconess training. And mm -hmm. I want to say that I don't know if I would have ended up being the person that I am or in the ministry I am, if it hadn't been for that happening when mm -hmm. I was at Valparaiso and, and in the diaconal formation process, because mm. they, I, I often will say to Louise and Diane and Mary, who were my teachers back then, I'll say, I, you know, you guys are a big reason you know, a big part of my ministry, a big reason that um, I'm who I am today and a chaplain. And they'll go, oh, we did not teach you to do the things you've been doing, you know, like the chaplain. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I said, no, you didn't teach me all of that. Some of that, you know, has been my gifts. But 
you help me to sort through my grief and sort through things that I needed to work on in my life so mm-hmm. that I could be a more whole and at peace person to mm-hmm. head out into ministry, ah, you know, and isn't that it was a true? beautiful gift. That know? is the truth. That is the truth about the LDA and what we offer each other, you know, and I know that you, it sounds as if, um, I don't know, but it sounds as if you are also doing work with um, helping to be mentors to our students who are in the program now and you're in touch with them and um, in some fashion and some capacity. Um, so we continue, right? It's not a, you get yes. yours and you move Pass on. Pass it on. Pass yes. it on. Yeah. Yeah. And the sisters who were before me, mm-hmm. you know, are reach out to me in different ways, you know, as I go through the changes and stages of my life you know it's it's a beautiful community I feel so fortunate thank you yeah we are fortunate to have each other so thank you this entire interview I think really is going to be helpful for so many people um again to sort through some of their questions and to just really understand once again what does it mean to be in the diaconate and you have mm. given us one slither, yet a very powerful um, slither of what it is to be in the diaconate and how that um, looks in everyday active ministry. And I thank you for that ministry. Um, it's the ministry of being able to sit in places also that are uncomfortable So um, for most of us. So thank you for that. And um Blessings on the rest of your day. (laughs) Well, blessings to you. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to learn a little more about what it means to be a deacon or a deaconess. If you are feeling called to the diaconate after hearing this or hearing all five of the images and want to have a one-on-one conversation with an LDA deacon or deaconess, or perhaps you're discerning how your ministry could benefit from having a deacon or a deaconess in your congregation, you can find us at theLDA.org or reach out to me, Deaconess Adrian. My info is in the show notes. Sending you Phoebe love. Bye-bye for now.